Want to cut cooling bills without cutting comfort? Lower utility costs and enjoy cool and consistent comfort with a highly efficient air conditioner from Luxair. With Luxair's consumer rebate program, educators, nurses, first responders, military personnel, and veterans can enjoy exclusive rebates on qualifying purchases of Luxair equipment. To learn more, call G-Team Mechanical at 765-376-3042 or visit gteamhvac.com. They'll recommend a system tailored to your home that provides comfort, energy savings, and lasting performance. This is Trackside with Kurt Cavan and Kevin Lee. Now stay tuned. Stay tuned. Now stay tuned. Now stay tuned. Stay tuned. Now stay tuned for the greatest spectacle in racing. Ladies and gentlemen, start your engines. I got him, but it is Danny Sullivan gets him. Danny Sullivan gets him. No, he's squirrely. No, he's spinning. Sullivan spins, but he goes around twice and gathers it. Absolutely incredible. Coming to the finish line, Bob Jenkins, who's going to win it? The checkered flag is out. Goodyear makes a move. Little Al wins by just a few tenths of a second. Perhaps the closest finish in the history of the Indianapolis 500. Well, you just don't know what Indy means. Who will win? Who is the winner Weldon. of the Indianapolis? Dan Weldon. Weldon. Dan Weldon has won the race. This is an amazing day, an amazing day. I love the Indianapolis 500. I love everything about it. I'm so glad to be drinking milk again and to be a two-time winner. Boyd, Unser, Mears, and maybe Castro Neves. Elio takes the lead out of turn one. Quick checkers out and then there were four. Elio Castro Neves joins the four-time winner's club. It's an incredible moment. Uh, <clears throat> I get emotional because the fans uh, last year was so tough and this year we don't have full grandstand but uh, you got the feeling and uh, thank you the fans. Uh, I have the best fans in the world and so an honor to have them. Is the first lap a big one for Scott Dixon? You bet it is. 234.437 miles an hour. Oh man, it's uh, this place does it to you every time. Oh my God. I thought it'd be nice to uh, make us feel and think about May on a drizzly, dreary December day for many of us in Indianapolis. And let's think about the greatest spectacle in racing. We're also, by the way, less than 100 days to the opening of the 2024 NTT IndyCar Series season in St. Petersburg. But uh, in reverse order, what you heard, one of... Scott Dixon's recent polls from the Indy 500 from a couple of years ago. Elio's fourth win, Weldon's second, the great finish in 92, the spin and win, and then a collection of all of the voices on radio of the Indianapolis 500. Hello, welcome. Thank you for joining us. It's Trackside, 93.5, The Fan in Indianapolis. Elijah Robertson is downtown at our studios on The Circle. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan. With much to get to on the program tonight, including a couple of guests we'll tell you about in a few minutes. But, Kurt, I'm going to start continuing the conversation that this radio station has uh, had for much of the day. And then I'll explain why why maybe it, it applies to us a little bit. And And part of it is, every once in a while, I miss having a forum to talk about local sports. Now, I in no way want to do it five days a week. And like we often joke, 
you can do a Wednesday show, but watch a Thursday show. I got enough for one night. <laughs> one night to talk about the Pacers and the Colts because I'm uh, honestly not paying close enough attention to understand all the nuances. But last night, the Pacers were on national television. So it's the first time I've seen them all season because I have YouTube TV and that is not an option. And, you know, and honestly, um, I'm fine with paying five or six bucks a month to see my team play, especially if it includes more than just my team. But I don't see enough games. I'm not around enough to pay 20 bucks a month, whether it be the Cubs or the Pacers. So unfortunately, I'm not criticizing them. I get it. It's a business. But that's not for me. So I can't watch Pacers games. But I did last night because they were on TNT and it was fun. And the team was, as I expected, I've listened on the radio and and I love the radio broadcasts, but TV kind of rules the world and you need that. And here's the, the point. One, the game was fun and it's exciting. The Pacers are young and energetic and good. But this in-season tournament, that's going on and and race fans will not know what we're talking about really, but the NBA this year started an in-season tournament that most of us thought was silly, contrived, massively confusing, even if you're paying attention. And I think all that is somewhat true, but Kurt, I think it's working. Oh, I think it is too. These November, December games are attracting more attention And I think last night's game had a bit of a playoff feel. And it depends on the team. You know, if you're Golden State, I'm going to guess they don't get as excited about these in-season tournament games. But when you've got a young team like the Pacers, and it's been a few years since they've had any playoff success, that's cool. And my point out of all this is how maybe we can apply it. It's okay to try some things and experiment a little bit. So that can apply to everything in every sport. No, I think you're right. And I think that really is applicable to the Thermal Club event that, that IndyCar will have in, in uh, the spring. Uh, look, my, my initial thought when it was brought up, I was like, well, it's not a points race. Is that, and, and that's, that's me stuck in an old school type mentality. And what you described with the NBA very much, you know, you're like, yeah, it's not really my routine. It's not the routine of the sport that I've followed for a long time. I don't get it. I don't like the colors on the floor. You know, you can go through all the the elements yeah. to to why the NC in season tournament doesn't gel with your perception of of how an NBA season should go. But as you kind of watch this develop. And maybe we can do the same thing with a thermal club event. You can start to see some some new interest and some new reasons to approach a game or a race that is, you know, for all intents and purposes, in the middle of the early part of the season. And so, you know, we might not have much championship implications in the NTT IndyCar series in March, but we're going to have a reason to watch a a new type of event, a new type of playoff, a new type of in-season tournament, if you will. Now, we're not calling it that on the Thermal Club event. Uh, And I don't have the date right in front of me. What is that, like March 26th, something like that? I'll grab it here real quick. Last week in March, I think, yeah. So, you know, there's we want to keep an open mind about this. It's March 24th, and we want to keep an open mind. Uh, This may have some, some benefits that, 
or some some intrigue, I guess more is the is the better word, more intrigue than maybe, you know, when we first heard about the 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 creation of it a few weeks ago, months ago, and kind of the same applies to the in season tournament. I watched it myself. Um I've not seen because of the YouTube TV and Bally Sports and if you're not local you don't quite understand the 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 rub there but if you know it, I I haven't watched a Pacer game and I mean they haven't been on national TV this season and weren't much on TV last season and they haven't had a, a meaningful uh, playoff game since about 2018 so you know it's it's um it's it was a, a reason while. to watch the city yeah the city was in was stoked um honestly if you couldn't feel the arena excitement and the interest behind it then then you weren't paying attention because it was it was all over in fact the national feed which we were watching um had a real distinctive uh, you know just a unique feeling that that an indiana pacer game a flyover team if you will it's in the middle of the country and most people have bypassed it as on their way to the celtics or the lakers or the or the warriors it was good tv and and hopefully to your point the way you connected those hopefully it'll be good tv at the thermal club as well and the court is ugly but oh it's awful it's awful but it Uh. serves a purpose it's what tells us when we're flipping channels because it's it's not just the pacers that have this really odd looking court every team has an alternate court and that was the message that oh okay this is an in-season tournament game because for those that don't know the story it's not like this started last week and the next four games are in-season tournament games they're sporadic and they played a you know a game three weeks ago that was an in-season tournament game and then the next game was not and it was back on the regular looking court and so forth so it's been going on for a little while it again is very highly confusing they got into point differentials and and i think that's why uh somebody jacked up a three at the horn not knowing whether a point differential came into play because it did into whether teams advance. And and I, you know, at one point I heard Steve Kerr saying, well, we've got to win by 12 to advance. We can't just win the game, which is a bit odd. And, you know, whether that's good or not, I don't know, but that's a whole point. And, And maybe thermal isn't the answer. I don't know, but things like that or an exhibition race in Argentina or whatever, whatever the next idea is. And I will admit I'm not creative enough. You know, we need creative people, but that's kind of a message to all of us. Let's don't immediately dismiss something just because it seems different and that's not the way we always do things. You know, one thought on thermal is in a perfect world, this would be before the season. It it does honestly lose a little bit of what I think people are used to with exhibitions because it's after the season started, but uh, this is not a perfect world. And the reason why it needs to be there this year is they knew Texas was going away, so this fills the gap with Texas. Otherwise, we would have a massive gap between St. Pete and what's next, Long Beach, six weeks, something like that. And because of the new hybrid component, they need every day that they can get before they have to actually race. So if you wanted – I think in a perfect world, maybe you're doing this – you know, it's like your spring training and you're doing this the week after the Super Bowl or the week before the Super Bowl or something like that. You're trying to maybe do it when NASCAR isn't racing week before Daytona. I don't know, but that wasn't an option this year. Maybe it is next year or maybe 
the racing works well and they feel like a race can exist on that track with 27 cars and it just becomes a points race next year, which would be great too. So my initial thought about putting it ahead of St. Pete is there is, there's a lot of equity in a season opening race. The first time you appear in an all skate kind of, you're all in back in school and, and, and events like St. Pete have a lot of invested interest in being the season opener, much like it's very important to Nashville next year to be the season finale. I mean, those, those two kind of cornerstone events, if you, they, they might lose a little luster if, if you put the, this thermal club in advance of the season. I'd still put it in advance. No, I, I I hear you. It's going to be the season opener. And this year, Nashville may not be the last race in 2024 if the Argentina race comes together in but 2024. But you will be you would be crowning a champion at Nashville. So you, you may be. have I, I don't I don't think I'm I'm going to go I hear you, but I'm going to vote that one down that that's not reason enough. It's because they don't know if they'll have cars and they needed to fill a gap. I think it's far better because it's it's spring training. That that's what the point is what you're going to have everybody there you know if you don't make this final 12 you've just run the cars for a weekend um at a track that you're not going to race at now yes you can learn something and get something out of it but you'd much prefer to just make that your preseason test to kind of check all the systems and and all of that it'll be fine it'll be fine as it is and and I'm not uh, 100% in that it's got to be after the season opening race. I don't feel that way. I'm just was pointing out the brand or the equity that a season opening event has that is yep. unique to the second race of the season. I can tell you without any question or reservation that unlike the NBA, IndyCar will not be painting the track a unique color. It'll it will be asphalt as we know it. Uh, no no funky colors and color schemes and orange on top the runoff of, area creatively yeah, i suppose you, you could <laughs> <laughs> although the people at thermal have invested a lot of money in their property not to have it look uh yeah uh, sort of silly oh by the way we get to watch the pacers again this week i believe they play thursday at 5 p.m eastern time in las vegas and it's on espn so that'll be right here on the radio as well. And that's why we were a little bit TBD for tonight's show, because there was a chance they were going to play tonight. And that wasn't decided until uh, last Tuesday or Wednesday, what, what day they were going to play. So that was cool. It was fun watching uh, the team that, that I spent basically 20 years with uh, every single night. I watched 90 some games a year for 20 years. Now I'm at one per year, but I'm going to try to to make it to a game again this year. I went last year and it was the first time since they had, um, renovated the field house, Cambridge field house. And it was awesome. It, it's like an entirely new building. So uh, we move on a couple of other things that this is not specifically IndyCar, but it impacts IndyCar. And it's, it's the business that you deal with in the off season. The NASCAR television deal was finally confirmed and announced last week. And, you know, the next item up for bids will be the IndyCar television deal. And there have been a couple of stories on that as well. And we, we've talked about this. It's been known that next year is the final year of the last extension between NBC and IndyCar. So in 2025, it is TBD at this point. 
and these other things matter. So we get, before we get to that, um, basic headlines of this, and it's very different. And in a lot of ways, you wish you could see it play out to see sure, how sure. it's received before you had to make a decision. But IndyCar is not. Now, IndyCar has already dipped its toe in the waters of an exclusive streaming race. They've had one, and next year they're going to have two. Well, NASCAR, at the cup level, is going to have five, five cup races starting in 2025 on Amazon Prime, which a lot of people have, but not everybody have, and a significant amount of their core audience is angry, and many of them, Kurt, are not even going to find out about it until 2025 because they ain't on Twitter, the people that can't figure out Amazon Prime, right? Well, I think I guarantee is- you about June 10th, of 2025 nascar fan is going to get angry in a second round when they learn that they can't find their race on their tv well as i understand it the first 14 cup races will be on fox then the next five will be on amazon prime and then five more after that will be on discovery so i guess that's that's not Uh, streaming that's not that's not not what i have i think it's on so the next five are also streaming with a Warner Brothers property, probably Bleacher Report or something. But also it was on called TNT. Warner Brothers Discovery. Well, that's the name of the company. Okay. I don't believe they're going to be on the Discovery Channel. I believe oh, that's they're going right. to be on TNT, which previously aired NASCAR races. So You're right. That, You're right. You're that right. is understandable to NASCAR fans because they've had TNT before and they – watch the NBA playoffs and the NCAA tournament. So I think they'll find that. But for the cord cutter, if they don't have TNT, they're going to be able to watch it on one of the Warner Brothers Discovery channels, which I believe could include Max. I think Max, that which was formerly HBO, uh, the, the digital HBO. I think that's an option, and there may be another option. But the first five after the first, first 14 are on Fox or mostly FS1, then five exclusively streaming on Amazon, then five on TNT, also streaming, then the final 14 on NBC Sports Properties, most of them on USA. Um, and, And we'll get to that as it applies to IndyCar as well. Already, IndyCar has more network races than NASCAR does. Yeah, it's hard to believe, isn't it? With 38 events, 36 points races, two exhibitions of the 14 aired by Fox, five by Fox Sports, five will be on Big Fox, nine will be on FS1. Of the 14 aired by NBC, four will be on NBC, 10 will be on USA. IndyCar next year has nine on network, plus two days of qualifying. Uh, I can't remember if the nine is included in the thermal race, but plus thermal. So I can't remember if it's eight plus thermal or if it's nine plus thermal, but whatever. They've got more network avail out of their 18 weekends, if you include qualifying, than NASCAR does out of 38. Yeah, that, that's really shocking when you think about it in those terms. But then we need to get to the dollar figure, which is which is staggering. It is... Did I write that down? Seven point seven point seven billion. Over seven years, isn't it? I think so. 
Now that includes the 125 million a year that they are collecting from the CW for Xfinity. That was a separate deal that was announced last summer, which will also bring some hand wringing when people can't find the CW. It's on most televisions through, it could be random. It might be an ABC affiliate. It might be an NBC affiliate. It might be an independent. If you have YouTube TV in Indianapolis, you currently do not get the CW. Correct. So I will have to, I'm sure they will offer a streaming option that I can probably pay for. I know they do an on-demand with the CW, which is how I watched 100 Days to Indy the next day. But I don't currently know, nor do I need to know until 2025, how that works. Um, Practices and qualifying will not air on NBC or Fox outlets. That will be streaming, similar to what IndyCar does with Peacock. Those will air on the first half of the season. I think it is on... It'll be split between Amazon Prime and Warner Brothers Discovery outlets. So, you know, that's kind of the message when you check, get your popcorn out and read the message boards uh, or the comments on Twitter is you're going to have to have, what, about seven channels or something like that to consume NASCAR starting in, in 2025. Well, you know, it kind of to some degree dovetails with what the NFL has tried to do and diversify mm-hmm. its its number of of partners contributing to the fund when we talked about 7.7 billion technically that's less than they're getting uh overall in the current package but it's 3 years um, I think 3 years shorter it's 3 yes, years it, shorter it's, so it's still a 40% increase correct on a, a yearly rate and Adam Stern noted this that they were able to do this. This is an example of how sports TV is king. It's the one that is somewhat DVR proof. Their ratings have dropped 50%, according to Adam Stern of Sports Business Journal, since the last deal was negotiated in 2013, yet they still got 40% more money per year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, sports is king. And and uh, so anyway, it's an interesting deal. I think it... To your, you make a great point right from the get-go. It would be, sure be be nice if we could see this play out before IndyCar had to make the decision. Uh, we've heard Mark Miles say that he still doesn't think, you know, this sport and most sports, uh, I think, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, I think he was referring to most sports aren't ready for full streaming. And to the degree to which streaming is, is uh, you know, taking over in place of, of live TV, he didn't think he didn't think the public is there yet completely. You know, it's not we'll watch numbers everything are just going to go down. They're You're, going and they're going to go down for NASCAR. The way it can somewhat work is if you're just so massive that, you, you know, you're Teflon like the NFL. Right. Now the numbers are down, but they're still big enough. They're still getting what, eight to 12 million, I think. On Thursday night games for Amazon Prime, eight to twelve million, so twice the Indy Five Hundred on a bad night is what they're getting. Now, when they were on network, I'm guessing on this, but it was probably twelve to eighteen million, and and I know this on like Sunday nights they're getting twenty six million, and the late afternoon Sunday afternoon game, the four p.m. window is getting twenty seven million. So those are the numbers that they are accustomed to more in a prime time but they're cashing in 
And that's what NASCAR is doing with this. And when, and when people ask, and I'm sure the NASCAR fan wants to know why is IndyCar getting more network than NASCAR is, it's it's the same thing when NBCSN and FS1 were launched. NASCAR had a choice. And, and I think the network simply said, all right, here is what we're willing to offer if all the races are on network. And it's $10, whatever. But if you allow us to uh, help legitimize our cable channels, thus create money from cable companies paying us $1.22 a head or whatever, we'll give you $20. We'll double the price. So your ratings are going to go down, but your immediate cash influx is going to be greater. And I'm sure that's the case in this. The network said, you know what, if you want to be on Fox 14 times, we got plenty of good options on Fox. We need some things for FS1. We want the cable companies still to feel, to, to carry FS1. Same thing with USA. Um, if you want to take less money, yeah, maybe we can talk about it and we can put you on network. It's an interesting deal. And it certainly um, it comes at a, at a good time where IndyCar is is considering its options. It's thinking through. Uh, Mark Miles has said he's talked to almost all the players. So now it's a matter of what fits best for the brand and what fits best for uh the teams that count on those ratings and, you know, it, you know, you just can't take the cash uh, unless you're, you know, unless you're in a pretty strong position, you can't just take the cash because you unless have implication oh, unless yeah. it's enough. I mean, it's got to be massively, you've got to be overpaid. And and then what I didn't finish the thought on was um, for the streaming aspect, I'm sure that's getting more than even cable does. I'm sure that Amazon per race is paying more than Fox or NBC are paying per race. Um, yeah. And then and then the hope is to sustain, sustain the sport is that is shared more with the teams. And that's the next task for NASCAR is their charter agreement, which they have to negotiate what share. I think previously it was something like 15% went to the team. I may be off on this. Maybe it was 15% went to NASCAR. Most went to the, most goes to the tracks. A little bit went to NASCAR, but some of it's still going to NASCAR because they own half the tracks. And then a little bit was going to the teams. So the teams are hoping that that's a higher percentage now. And that can help make up what is likely going to be a loss in sponsor dollars because they are not. I don't know. So a summer race on Amazon, if it gets. Three and a half million on network. Two and a half million on cable. Those may be a little bit off. Maybe it's a little bit higher. Um, they they significantly drop when you go in the fall. You know, you're down to two million on cable and three million on network. So they're higher in the summer. What are we thinking? Uh, maybe a million on Amazon. Yeah, yeah. I, be, a, a million is where right. my 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 head went to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, use the NFL model that they're getting half. I don't think NASCAR in the demographic will do as well as half. I think so that's were, right. Yeah. So I think you would consider a million good and that's still significant. And it's very possible. These numbers may not be shared. They'll be shared if they think they're positive. <laughs> if not, you probably won't see them. 
you know, I think the, um, the NFL loyalty is probably even stronger. You know, if you want to watch yeah. your team on a Thursday night, you're going to move heaven and earth to see your team on Thursday night football on Thursday night, uh, streaming where, you know, if it's, um, uh, if it's five, five races out of your, yeah. of your, your long summer, I don't know that you're moving heaven and earth to make sure that you've seen Martinsville on a, you might not on a Sunday. So no um, disrespect to Martinsville. It's a great place, but Amazon prime is one though, because it includes more that that's what helps. It does you know, help. I, I have the TV channel because I like it for free shipping. So that's what a lot of people have chosen. Not everybody is into that. Not everybody shops online. But if you do, I think you can probably substantiate that, even though I think it's up to like 18 or 19 bucks a month, something like that. But, but you know, I would feel like you get a lot with that. But that's all interesting. Now, for IndyCar, Sports Business Journal says the money would have been even greater a year ago had they been up against it and finalized these things a year ago. But the sports rights market is tightening, meaning networks are getting a little more thrifty, don't have the cash, or they've already spent it on other things like the NFL and like the NBA and the Big Ten. So if that's true, that's not fantastic news if you're IndyCar. Um, The stories I've seen, says that NBC is very interested. So that's a good thing. What other networks will be? I honestly will be a little bit surprised if there's huge interest from other networks. I think the other players are potential streamers and the CW. The CW has publicly said, I believe they've said this. If not, it's just been my theory. But I think this has been said by either someone there or another pundit that they are thinking about using the Fox model from the 90s, that we're going to build this new network because Fox was once like the CW. Sure. It was an outlier. And they became mainstream when they paid for sports, namely the NFL in about 1994, and then really moved to another level when they got NASCAR in 2001. It's probably Um, But they were already getting there. They were, I, I think that new TV contract started the, I think the first race was Earnhardt when he died in, in the 2001 Daytona 500. So um, those are probably going to be the players. Maybe someone else gets involved too, but that's going to be something to follow um, as we, we move forward. And the parties apparently are already talking and we'll see what we see. All right, we'll get into some racing stuff coming up in in just a little bit. We've got more IndyCar drivers that are going to Daytona. Some are there right now because there's IMSA testing going on. Stay with us. Plenty more to come. Trackside, 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
Hi, this is Marcus Eriksson and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Okay, more news to get to, and, and actually this does uh, have a NASCAR slant as well, because they just had their awards banquet, so they got stuff going on, but I think it's kind of cool that IndyCar is a part of that discussion at, at their banquet. The champion, Ryan Blaney, we learned, he'd like to do the Indy 500 and join Kyle Larson next year. I saw the f- tweet first from Bob Pockris that said, Roger Penske at the winner's owner's news conference said that Blaney had mentioned running the Indy 500, but Penske indicated there aren't any plans for him to do it. He said IMS can see impact of Larson doing the 500 when it comes to ticket sales for next May. Uh, Jenna Fryer posted that Roger Penske said that Rick Hendrick approached him first about running Kyle Larson, but we hadn't had the success for a couple of years for us to take on a fourth car. And then, of course, McLaren did. I think that's interesting. I think that makes sense. But now you wonder, okay, now they've won the race. I don't think anything's going to happen for 2024, as my opinion has been that you need to do it the way they're doing it with Larson. Get him in the car earlier on, have a full run-up. And I suspect Penske does not feel like they are 100% there. Until they come to May and they qualify up front and show that they're fast in all forms, they're probably going to say, eh, we're not fully a polished product at, at this point. But if they qualify well this year and have good race cars, I think that opens the door. That Roger might be open to adding a fourth car, especially if it's good for the race and good for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in 2025. I think so too. And obviously some of that might have to do with, with Larson's impact in 24, uh, just a little at least. I mean, if it, that was a big hit, you could, uh, roll, roll him, meaning Blaney into a program in 25. But I hear you. I, I think, you know, at Team Penske, they're there to win the Indy 500. Team Penske, while the Indy 500 is important to Roger, is not as important to, to Team Penske that, the Speedway sell, you know, some more seats or, you know, they want to win the Indy 500. That's probably, you know, it'd be, it'd be under, it'd be an interesting conversation. If you put Roger to the, the old truth serum and you said, here's the thing, mm-hmm. you could have the greatest Indy 500, but not win the race with Team Penske. Or you could have a, a really, really, really good Indy 500 like we've seen the last few years and incremental growth. But you can win the Indy 500. <laughs> I think you take just a notch below on the event as a whole. He's a competitor. But He's a competitor. There's probably a pendulum, and and more so than just having a great race and a great show. Let's look at it from the business standpoint. If you could sell 87 percent of your tickets, which is probably about what they do, maybe it's 92. I don't know. And you win the race, would you choose that? Or would you choose selling 100% of your tickets? The television ratings go up. It impacts all the teams across the board, and you don't win the race. And by the way, you don't have to commit to that because you still might win the race. Well, but it, that's but it what can I lessen your chances just a little bit if you divert your attention. Because that's the fear, is they didn't want to divert their attention from getting their three full season, highly qualified drivers and programs dialed in. Because when you bring in 
a NASCAR driver, some of your time is going to be allocated to teaching this newbie how to do this. Team Penske doesn't do newbies. They do veterans, with the exception of McLaughlin a couple of years ago. Bear in mind, Roger, when he's listening to the show, that I said he would still have incremental growth in the the 500, and he was not talking about taking a step backwards. Uh, But, you know, it kind of, you know, these things run independent of each other, honestly. Uh, Team Penske is a Tim Sendrick-led program. Yes, Roger's consulted and they have conversations but it's not like it was 20 years ago with roger he's not he's not stopping by the shop on a regular basis i don't think no, but he's telling you whether you can run ryan blaney in the indy 500 or not absolutely but i think the recommendation tim sendrick's going to know the answer to that if they're ready if they feel good enough about their three-car program to win the indy 500 then yep. then you know he knows what Roger's answer is. Cool to Blaney's interested. He's someone that uh, I think would move the needle. Yeah. There are a lot of people that would not, but Blaney and Chase Elliott would move the needle, maybe even more than Kyle Larson would. I think so. Maybe, although Kyle Larson within the motorsports community has has had people's attention for a long time. Uh, but but Chase, Chase is probably the one. Daniel Suarez might be another. Uh, but those guys are, you know, those guys are, are difference makers. Well, let's get to Daniel Suarez. I thought I might next. lead you right into that. So I, I just saw this uh, before the show started. Adam Stern tweeted. So one of the news stories today was that Trackhouse, uh, Justin Marks' team, which has made a big splash, immediately won races, made the playoffs last year with Ross Chastain, and they're expanding. Remember, they bought the Ganassi Cup yep. organization. Uh, Justin Marks and Trackhouse entered MotoGP today, the Formula One of motorcycle racing. And so he was made available and he was asked something I've asked Justin. I asked him this three years ago. I was, I, I think it was on the track walk for the first race in Nashville. And I happened to be next to him and just chatted with him for a while. And then I asked him about doing the Indy 500. And I've said this on the show before. He said, and he said this to other people publicly that, yes, I want to be in the Indy 500. So I kind of had my eye on that with, you know, at one point I thought maybe he's a possibility to partner with Ganassi or something else. So he was asked again today, and he said that Team Trackhouse could enter the Indy 500 as soon as it finds a compelling opportunity, but added, if we go to the Indy 500, the only way we do it is if we do it as a double with one of our NASCAR Cup drivers. We're not going to do it just to do it. I do recall him previously saying it's got to be something unique because one of the things that they've done is their, what are they called, the Project 91, where they've had uh, international drivers come in, and, and I wondered if that might be something that he would be interested in doing. So let's look at their roster of cup drivers. Daniel Suarez is one of them. Maybe, you know, he maybe he would be interested I think they'd all be interested. Ross Chastain, I'm sure, would be interested, but I'm honestly not thinking that's probably the one. Uh, Zane Smith, rookie driver next year, that's probably not the one. Here's one. Shane Van Gisbergen, who's shown that he can do just about anything. Um, Now, it's not going to be next year because he's going to be a rookie doing a few cup races, some Xfinity races, truck races, learning ovals, all of that. But maybe that's someone. People think he has, and he showed it, he has immense talent. 
And then who knows? Their their roster may change down the road, and there may be someone else they feel because it's got to work commercially as well. It's got to make a splash. Um, but I just keep an eye on that as well. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And Justin, as your point is, uh, he's he's been interested in this, and I think I think we'll see that in the coming years. Uh, I I don't see any one of those drivers except maybe Shane. Uh, I think that's that's interesting. I threw out Suarez, but. But I don't, I don't know his desire to be at the Indy 500. But hey, you know what? The best thing is, is that in the month of December, several months before the start of the season, we've got national level reporters and, and so forth talking about the Indy 500. Yep. Um, and even though there's nothing specific happening in IndyCar right now, we see a lot of IndyCar names in the news. Uh, Rolex 24. We had our first conference call for the Rolex 24 broadcast today. So that means we're getting closer. That's one of the things that we like to talk about. More drivers announced last week, more with connections today. Felix Rosenquist and Pato Award, teammates for the last few years in the Claren are sort of teammates again in a Zach Brown partially owned entry with United Autosport. They will drive in separate cars, an LMP2, the, the second class in the Rolex 24. So not on the same in the same car, but on the same team. Scott McLaughlin has been confirmed, the same team that he raced with last year with Tower Motorsports. Uh Felipe Massa, who's won, I think, eleven Formula One races and still thinks he won a championship and is arguing about that. He's going to be in an LMP two car with Riley Motorsports. Uh Joseph Newgarden is, you know, one we've talked about, many Indy car drivers, Dixon, Blumquist, Herta, Erickson, Rossi, Kirkwood, uh, Jensen Button is going to be in a car. Tatiana Calderon, who raced with Foyt a couple of years ago, was just announced today in a mostly female lineup, joining Catherine Legg and Sheena Monk, and also Stephen McAleer is the fourth driver in a GTD car. Uh, so that's good to see Tatiana back for, I think, five of the races, all the endurance races coming up. So uh, there are more to come. And that's that's what we have at this point of those that are confirmed. All right, we'll we'll get in some other nuggets. We'll get to some tweets coming up at Kevin Lee twenty three at Kurt Cavan and Kurt. Who are our guests coming up in the second hour? So the famous Poppy uh, that that so many people have known from from uh, from crew chiefing and and the restoration shop now at the museum. Uh, the famous Poppy. I'm just going to call him that for right now. And Steve Woodage should join us later to talk. Dave um, Popolars? That's Popolars. That's I right. I didn't know how to I just, everyone called him Poppy. <laughs> well, everyone knows him as Poppy, a great racer yeah. in his own right and has won a lot of races in Indy 500s and championships at, at Andretti and, and so forth. And, uh, he'll talk, uh, about this museum effort that the restoration of the cars, which is really fascinating to a lot of people. And then Steve Woodage, as I mentioned. Uh, from TracksideOnline.com and TSO Ladder, we'll share thoughts on a lot of different things from the the uh, road to Indy and also IndyCar as well. So uh, that's coming up. Still one more segment to catch on some things in just a moment. Stay with us. It's Trackside. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
Hi, this is Pato Award, and you're listening to Trackside. Okay, short segments here before hour number two. A couple of Twitter questions. Lynn at IndyCar says, what kind of deal will IndyCar get, especially after seeing what NASCAR got for their top series? So we talked a lot about that. Uh, I'm sure the Penske Entertainment is hoping for more, um, but we shall see what options are out there. Ken Anderson asks, uh, what are the chances of Grosjean elevating Hunko's Hollinger from a lower-level team to a more consistently competitive one? Uh, maybe, although Callum Eilat was really good. Uh, Grosjean has more experience, so I give him a chance, but it's it's probably still going to be kind of tough. But I think just with experience, they're going to be a little bit stronger. All right, Hour 2 coming up. Stay with us on Trackside. Hi, this is Will Power, and you're listening to Trackside. Welcome back to Trackside on a chillier part of the year than than we like. But it is trending toward May already, so we like that time of the year. And, you know, during this offseason, we like to bring in people that are, you know, interesting, have interesting situations going on in their careers and in their in their IndyCar world. And, and one of those is... Uh, uh, Dave uh, Papa Lazars and Bob. By the way, Poppy, uh, I think that's how everyone knows you as Poppy. So there will be no more formal introduction other than Poppy, uh, who is a former crew chief of of a, a lot of good uh, race car drivers, Canan, uh, Dario, Fernando Alonso, uh, a lot of time there in the Andretti uh, camp over the years, and now is a restoration technician at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And so does a lot of work with the museum cars and and preparing cars for the month of May. So, Poppy, uh, I think this is your first time on the show. Maybe your second. I can't remember, but it's good to have you. First time? First time caller. First time caller. So, you know, we've talked about the museum in terms of, of, you know, going through its own uh, efforts to, to, you know, to restore and, and make this this brand new museum, essentially renovate the museum. Something had to do with, you know, we had to do something with all the cars. <laughs> and I know that in the, in the restoration shop, you had a lot of activity about, about that. How did you handle these? How many cars did you have to deal with? And, you know, just moving them out of the museum so the renovation can occur. I mean, there's, there's nearly 200 cars in the collection. So, um, and that's between the basement and upstairs on the floor. And we had to get them all, uh, out of there into a, into a, uh, a separate storage facility to, uh, to keep them safe. We've only got room for four cars over here at restoration. So that wasn't, didn't make much of a dent in it. And, uh, yet we moved the basement, uh, in probably, I think it was about four days we were hammered down 20, 30 cars a day with the uh, uh, classic car carrier. Uh, Ed Dalton gave us a hand moving all the cars. Uh, he brought three trucks over. And we'd get about probably five to six cars in each truck, and we made probably four trips a day with those three trucks. Did they all go to one spot? I know, I, I know you don't need to reveal the location, but did they all go to one spot? Is there one place big enough to hold all these cars, or did they have to go to a lot of different homes temporarily? The goal was to make them all be in one collective spot, and that's where they did go. 
now they're sort of um, branching out and going to, we're getting requests from different collections, different museums. Uh, this morning, we just took the 1986 winner up to Ray Hall Letterman uh, Lanigan racing up there in Zionsville and put the Budweiser car there on display for uh I guess for a good bit until uh, we need back uh, on the winner's floor at the new museum. So you've been at this, I don't know, just about as long as I have um, nearly 40 years of, of being around the speedway and, and being around these cars in different forms. Is it, is it still, even when you're in the job of, of actually putting them on a trailer and doing something with them, does it still strike you? Have you, or have you been at it too long to, you know, you're like, wait a second, this car did this? It, this car is that accomplished in its, in its heyday? Does that still give you the buzz? I, you know what? Working with the, working with the, the vintage cars gives me that buzz now more probably than, than working on the current day cars did back then. Current day cars were just a nonstop problem. You were just, they, they were always a thorn in your side. You hated them. Um, and these cars, they're, they're, you know, something that you, you tend to, and you, you, you really care about. Yeah. You've been at this a long time. I remember the story and, and maybe the listeners know it. Maybe they don't. You were, I don't know if you were a West coast guy initially, but you basically hitchhiked across the country to get to go to kind of a first, your first big sprint car race to go to Knoxville, as I recall, and your passion for this sport has has really uh, goes goes deep. What was it that really interests you about about racing? And and I know it was largely initially sprint car racing, but IndyCar racing. What was it that grabbed you? Boy, I mean, I always it, it was. I grew up on short track oval racing, and and uh, IndyCar racing was just always the the pinnacle of it. It was. It was the, the, it was the, the, the highest that you could get in oval track racing. And, um, I, I, I went to Knoxville and after I saw Knoxville, I was talking with my roommate, I was going to San Diego state and, uh, we decided we, I jumped in his VW bus and drove out here in 87, went to my first 500. And, uh, after seeing that, I said, heck, and then the next year I came back and, uh, and brought my toolbox with me and tried to get a job. And yeah, that was about it. That's unbelievable. Did you have, uh, Poppy joins us. We'll just call you a Poppy from this point forward. You've been around this sport so long as a crew chief and, and, uh, you're a 500 old timers board member and, and now a restoration technician at the Speedway. Did you have, who was your guy early on? Which 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 driver? Which car? You know, which kind of your kind of the, your first that you latched onto? Um, I, I think like the first guy that kind of really gelled with, and pretty pretty much one of the most was, was Dario. When he came up, he was a young kid, and we were a young team, and we were all we kind of goofed together, and 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 made it where it was a, a close circle of, of guys. And I, I yeah, I, I'd have to say pretty much. I mean, I'd worked with a bunch of other guys previous that, but, but they were all at different points in their career and it just didn't quite, uh, you know, match up with, with us. 
Well, let me let me ask it a different way. As before you got into the sport, you know, did you have a guy? Mine was Mears. Like I couldn't wait to to find a chance to to get see photos of Rick Mears, especially as a young Rick Mears. And and so who was your guy you had, you kind of aspired to to be around or or even dream of of meeting um, in your early days? I mean, I I always liked guys who had, had driven dirt cars, so I was kind of on the uh, on the uh, more of like the uh, the underdog role because I I'd, I'd go for guys like Roger Rager or, you know, Steve Chassie or the guys who, who, you know, had, had ran dirt cars as well as, as the Indy cars. Um, so it, it kind of, I wasn't, I wasn't real mainstream, uh, on, <laughs> on my likes. <laughs> That's funny. I have a, I only have two autographs that I got probably in, in 88. I had a, I had a Chevy hat and on that hat, I have Rick Mears and Steve Chassie. Which Chas always thinks is funny that, you know, I only have two and, and there's Rick Mears and Steve Chassie. But, uh, yeah, Chas was, Chas is one of those, uh, gunfighters that you could really root for. I hadn't had many people say over the years that they were attracted, uh, as a fan to Roger Rager, but that's a good one. That's a good one. Well, I mean, you know, he was, he was a, a Minnesota sort of, he raced at Knoxville and, and sprint cars. And then the whole story coming with the, with the school bus engine and stuff, it, it, it just, it was appealing. You know what I'm, I, I don't, I, I guess I do like the underdogs. Yeah. You, you moved to the, the museum uh, or the, yeah, I guess you actually technically work for the museum. I don't mean to say that otherwise, but you're, you're in this non-competitive world now of, of working on cars. Talk about just the difference between, and you kind of referred to it a little bit with, uh, you know, the, when you're working with a current car, it's always trying to figure out what the issue is with the car and trying to make the car better, more competitive and, and the issues that you have with, with supplies and parts and pieces and all those things that go with it. How is that different, uh, just in job environment when you, when you're restoring cars? You know, I'm, I'm fighting it right now with one car. It's, so I'm working on the, on the Gurney, uh, Gurney Lotus 29 from 63. Um, and you, you spend a lot of time, you, you sit there and you look at, you have a problem. Say, I can't get a, a, the left rear shock wasn't fitting right. And I know what I need to do. I need to take the grinder out and I need to cut a, a saddle in the thing and, and move something. And, and, but, you think no wait i can't they did it somehow i need to figure out how they did it and and you're constrained by the fact that it already has been done whereas when you're working on something current you do what needs to be done um so yeah it's 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 a it's it's kind of a and and i can i can get pretty pretty wound into that and get into it for a day or two and then finally i just got to kick myself in the ass and say okay i i got just got to do it so i get the tie grinder out and i fixed it but you know well that that brings the question you know it's not like there's a manual for these things uh the cars that you're working on these vintage cars a car from 63 any mechanic that would have worked on it uh likely isn't available to 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 ask i mean how do you work through 
how do you work through a situation with a with a car where you've got really no manual or or nobody to ask how they did it? Well, we kind of so so before you get started, you set a you set a date of where you're going to put the car. So I'm going to make the car race day 1963, and so I got to kind of get into what was going on then rules wise, um, uh, availability parts wise, what what the the norm was at the time so so when i first i i kind of got i kind of got legacied into this project but they uh so it was so premier bolts had we we were looking at what type of hardware we were going to use on the car and premier bolts had come to the speedway in 61 beginning of 62 and they uh they were given free to all the teams so we decided well okay theoretically they could be that most likely they got built with premier bolts once they were built at the speedway also because they were free and Colin Chapman was pretty tight. They probably used them <laughs> except for, <laughs> yeah. So, so you get things, parameters like that set. Um, you, then you think about, so we were working on, on, on brake fittings and you start looking, well, what did they do? Oh, well, they use stuff from a Land Rover. So you have to kind of source stuff out and you spend a lot of time looking at pictures and interpolating. And then, and then even then, if you, you still don't have a concrete thing, you kind of just got to say, screw it. Okay. That's what we're going with. And inevitably you'll, you'll end up, you'll be sitting there at a car show and some, guy i'll come by and go hey you know that's not the right brake fitting you got on there <laughs> and all i can do is look at him and say well how is it on your lotus 29 <laughs> yeah yeah i wondered about that i was going to ask i don't know that that's maybe a, a secret you want to give away but let's let's just ask it i guess as generically as i can percentage wise how close does your gut tell you that when you restore a car it is not necessarily in the case of the Lotus 29, but how similar do you think or how how realistic are you percentage-wise, do you think, to the car that ran on the racetrack? Understanding that, you know, you just have – there are going to be some bolts and some some pieces that are that are uh, not authentic. How close do you think you come? I would say – so, I mean, <laughs> this is more or less – this is my first restoration, really. I've, I've done a lot of, of uh, just uh, little tune-up things on a lot of the cars, but this one's our first real complete project. And I'd say that the car will probably roll in there at about eighty um, percent. There's there's some things that are are like absolute little gems on it, and then there's some things that are fudge areas. And what I do with a lot of those, like okay, the tires. The tires are uh, that we have on it are Dunlops. Um, the car originally tested with Dunlops on it, but then they went to a Firestone, and then the next year they came back and ran Dunlops uh, uh, in the race. So yes, Dunlops do fit the the motif, but the problem is those those Firestones were only made for like sixteen months or something, and so there's a real limited number of them out there. Um, and and uh i have one <laughs> I, I have i have a left front <laughs> so, so what i basically do is any any um any uh conjecture items like that i'll write them down in my 
I fudged it this way column. And then uh, along the way, if, if something comes up, I'll say I come across a line of tires. I'll say, Oh, good. Let's, we'll go after those and try and get them and, and put them on the car. Or say I find a bag of bolts that say that are, uh, you know, Lotus, uh, have machine marks on them from Lotus factory or something like that. Yeah. Whatever it's, you know, okay. But otherwise you just kind of have to, you kind of do some broad strokes. So Dave Papalars joins us. Poppy is, as most of you know him, what other cars are, or you said you got room for three or four at any one time in the restoration shop there next to the golf course. What, what other cars are sort of have come through there maybe in the last, you know, few months that, that you've, that the group is tinkering with, if not restoring completely. So we're, we're right now we're trying to get stuff ready for on race day. We always run about eight cars or so. And, uh, we're, we're trying to get those cars done, uh, so that we won't be in a rush come, come race day. Uh, right now we're working on the, uh, Lewis Chevrolet 1909 Buick, uh, Gary Frost is working on that car. He's and it typical of see our collection is it has we have really and I hate using the word iconic, but they are such iconic cars. They're race winners. Forty five or so, so of our cars have won the Indy five hundred. Um and our original and it's but the problem is that we have such a big collection and in the past we've only had one or maybe two guys looking after it that they, a lot of them were restored 40 and 50 years ago. So, and they've been run probably 10 times since then. So there's little problems develop. So Gary's working on the one and he's got it sheared off a, a roll pin and one of the uh, pump gears and uh, the crack in the oil pan and it, and it's just you plug up one hole and another hole pops over here and you you end up chasing in, in uh, a lot of a lot of little problems. And uh, so Gary's almost done with that. And then we got a 73 Eagle that Billy Vukovic drove the Sugar Ripe Prunes car. Uh, Judd Phillips is crew chief on that. Um, that one came in because when Billy passed away, we were going to uh, thinking about taking it out and running it. I'm not positive where we'll, whether we'll run it on race day or not, but we decided we need to go through it. You you brought up uh, Dario a little bit ago. I would assume, fair to assume, maybe not, that he has, uh, and I think about him being kind of one of the most, uh, you know, historic-minded, uh, really respects the legacy and the history of the place. Do you have, you know, some of these people that just, come over and spend time in, in the restoration shop. Are you almost sometimes a tour guide for, for, uh, for famous people? Yeah, for famous. And also for, I mean, like you were talking about the old timers, um, like, uh, I love having them come by and explain things to me that I'm working on or taking part in that they actually were part of doing. And, and, like when we were doing the 82 Wildcat, I had probably five or six guys from the original crew come by um, and tell me, oh, yeah, well, we did it that way. And Harold built this piece and Howard built that piece. And and it's just, you know, it, it it's really cool to, to otherwise it, it puts faces to the parts. Right. 
Yeah, uh, actually, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, you, we do get a lot of folks coming through, but like I said, I like, I like trying to get something out of each one of as much as they're taking in and, and seeing and enjoying. I always, I always try and steal a little piece. I have a notebook of, of little things that I keep from, from people who, who's, Oh, you know, well, so-and-so did this and so-and-so did that. And, Oh, you, we built those because, because we didn't have any or because we got these pieces for free or, and it, it just made it, it completes the loop a little bit. It really does. It's a, it's a fascinating thing. And maybe this is something that, that only I'm geeked out about, but I think you would be as well, or you probably are. You know, the restoration portion of the speedway is, is almost a story of itself in and, in and of, of itself. And we, we do talk about, you know, the mechanics that have come through and the engineers that have come through and worked on race teams and so forth. But the people who have worked in the restoration shop, I don't even know where the restoration history goes at the speedway. How far back this, maybe you know, but just you're part of something that's, that's unique to the speedway. It's funny because we have a picture so that, that I, I mean, the a quick history of the, of the, of the museum and the restoration shop. Um, Carl Kaiser ran a, uh, a, uh, tire and auto supply place down in, uh, uh, on, uh, Capitol Avenue. And, uh, he, uh, he told Tony Holman back in the fifties that he would, he wanted to make a museum and he had a bunch of cars that he'd already collected up and, uh, that, that laid the groundwork for the original museum, uh, the one outside of turn one. And then Carl uh, Kaiser had his people build uh, building and working on the cars. Then we're in the shop we're in is actually the Howe Racing Shop. Mary Holman's sprint car team was out of here, and it was built in '56. The actual building was. I mean, and our our shop is a time machine from late '50s, early '60s, uh, uh, and it was it was pretty state of the art for the time, and. Uh, then it, it was run by originally run by Bob Bishop. He was Mary's crew chief, but this still wasn't restoration. Then it was still Kaiser was still doing it. And then we went to uh, Barney Wimmer started working here. And Barney was a longtime sprint car crew chief for uh, Jimmy Wilburn, a lot of uh, IMCA championships. And then he, uh, he and uh, Bill Spurley, we're basically the first restoration shop. We still have a couple of pictures of them up on the wall. And every time we're doing something, we look up on the wall to make sure they're not shaking their heads at us because they know. <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, you know, Bill Spurley was, was interesting. You know, it's, I can see that. I could really see that. I assume because Roger Penske went through every inch of the facility and probably has multiple times. I assume he's been in and, and what kind of just kind of pressure did, did you feel when he's in there and you're working on something? Uh, how did that go? Well, um, it, when, when he first took over, when I first actually started here, he would drive through every couple of days, every couple of weeks, just drive through, do a slow drive by. And, it, it just, it makes you park your car straight. And, and, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> I, 
he painted all the buildings because they're pretty much in in disrepair. It wasn't Penske perfect. Um, I'm sure if he if he uh, came inside, he'd probably have us wiped down a little better. But uh, it is it is an old older shop. <laughs> but um, no, I, I, and some of his guys from his restoration shop come by all the time. Uh, well, you know, every couple months and. Uh, yeah, it's it, there's there's a there's a presence, but hopefully we're not a thorn in his side. <laughs> no, I'm sure you're not. I'm sure it's not. But it's like all of us. Uh, it, uh, you're right. You got to park your car a little straighter. But he's got you know such a history of of um, you know the sport, obviously. But you know in terms of wanting the cars to be as authentic and as perfect as as they can be. Let me ask you this: in terms of, I mean, you're you're receiving the cars and, and you're having the chance to see cars. Is there a car or two that, that you would like to see? If you would say, I'd like to restore that one. Do you have a kind of a bucket list of a car or two that, that you would like to have be able to get your hands on? You mean outside the collection or inside? Outside the, well, either one, but, but I would, assume, I might, I guess I'm asking you outside the collection. Uh, mm, outside the collection. I, I would say, anything it, no I, I don't it'd be nice to have like like one of the the front necks would be really nice nice in the early 20s uh, some something like something really unique um and uh, I, I, one would uh the uh the uh chevrolet built a uh before he did the front neck he did a a um uh, the first pub uh, monocoque construction back in the teen, late teens. And I'm trying to think of the name of it, but we have some of the running gear for it. And I think that'd be neat if we could do something to, with that and put it together. Nice. But, uh, as far as in the collection, I, my, my goal is in two years, I want to run the Villeneuve 95 car. It, it's pretty much all there, but it hasn't run and we're, we're at a, we're, we're short on some electronic, uh, stuff and, uh, we need to get that thing up and running for the, for the anniversary. Which was the first Indy car that you worked on as a mechanic? Uh, John Andretti's, uh, uh, Pennzoil. Uh, Paul VDS. We won our first race. I thought, shit, this is going to be easy. (laughs) Well, you've made it, you've made it look pretty easy. You've been on, do you have a count? How many race wins you've been a part of? No, I kept the, I, I have a written down, but I don't have a count. I, the funny thing is though, once you get into like a big team, um, so, so being at Andretti for all those years, we had four and five cars and yes, one of your team cars won, but really the only car that that's really close to your heart is the one that you're, that you're sweating over. So, you know, it, so you end up with all these championship rings and 500 rings and stuff like that. But it's like, yeah, that's peripheral. The one that you actually, that, that came out of you from your toolbox, that that's, that's the only one you really care about. So how many Indy 500 toolbox rings of, as we'll call them, do you have? I have one that I have just one. <laughs> Is that 07? No, 1995. Oh, 95. 90. Oh, yeah. yeah. I forgot about yeah. that one, but no, um, 07, 07 was a, 07 was a very, I 
Dario and I got together again in 05, 06, no, 04, 05, and 06. And then in 07, I went over to Danica's car and my friend Jeff Gron took over. And Dario had a breakout year, wins the 500 and the, <laughs> yeah. the friggin' championship. And, uh, yeah. Well, I, I think I'm really, I was very happy for him. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you were. I, I just naturally went to, you know, Dario's breakout and that would probably be the one that, uh, that you had, uh, championships then, um, or I guess, I guess total rings, total Indy 500 rings. Oh, I, I, I really, I, there's probably about five. Or oh, something. probably about five. Yeah. You're, you're I, too... I haven't really, you don't have I, them displayed. Honestly, um, actually I have a cabinet with them in, but my, my, own, my, my good one, I keep in my, in my drawer. All the other ones are out in, uh, in the <laughs> in a cabinet. Do you wear, uh, that one at any time during the year? Never have. No, I, I, not, a, not, I don't feel, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to hold it up under someone's nose. Pop, you need to, at least on race day, come to the speedway. Wearing your ring. That's what I would do. I probably wouldn't wear it any other day, but race day. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's the big day. So maybe yeah, I right. can work on that for you. All right. Uh, yeah. Remind, call me, call me a, a Saturday night. <laughs> what a great, what a great job you, you have now. I mean, you've, you know, I don't know if I've kind of explained that, but, uh, you went through a period of so much competition and it was just nice to maybe be out of the competitive world and to work in restoration. And you think about, you know, I mentioned that you hitchhiked and, and you just built your own way into the sport. It's, uh, you've really gotten to do, I would say you could say a dream job or two, but I don't know how you could have dreamed this one. You know, it's funny. My grandfather, I remember telling my grandfather that I was a race mechanic and then, you know, we flew places and, and went to, you know, worked on cars. And he said, so you're a gentleman bum. (laughs) 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 I'm like, I I think that's, uh, I'm going to carry that for, for the rest of my life. Grandpa thinks I'm a gentleman bum, but yeah, we, we, you know, it yeah, it it's 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 a it's not something you can really ever study for or do. It's just something you kind of gotta chase after, and attrition helps you get forward a little bit. But that's a great story. All right, well that's uh, we've taken enough time. We could probably spend two more hours just talking about cars. Uh, I'm I'm fascinated by the fact that you don't have a manual for any of these things. You just look at pictures and try to imagine the stories that, or the the situation the mechanics must have been in, and and that's a that's a really nice thing. I, I appreciate you taking a few minutes, Pop. Hey, it's really nice talking to you, Kurt. I you know, one of these days you got to come by and visit yourself. I know. I, I obviously I'm close to there every day, but I just haven't gotten over. But I will be there soon. And uh, we're going to be back here on Trackside in just a few minutes. 93.5107.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
Hi, this is Graham Rahal, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Back again on Trackside, Kurt Cavan, along with Kevin Lee. Kevin's sitting this segment out, and as we talked about in the last segment, a chance to catch up with some interesting people that we don't talk to on a regular basis, at least I don't on the radio, but we talk about him, talk with him at the racetrack on a regular basis. Basis is Steve Wittich of, of Trackside Online, who does just a terrific job, has for a long time in, in tracking the IndyCar series and Indy Next. And of course, if you listen to this program on a regular basis, that needs no introduction, but we do so anyway. Good to be with you, Steve, and, uh, another great kind of time period of IndyCar racing. And we'll see what 2024 holds. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's, uh, yeah, we, uh, have a few months off before we get going again and, uh, kind of get caught up on, uh, some of the, uh, news of the day and, and some of the, uh, goings on. But yeah, it's great to join you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Let's talk, I guess, uh, because we've bantered the last remaining seats on the IndyCar series side, a couple at Dale Coin Racing, a couple at AJ Foyt Racing. Unless there's been news break here in the last uh, little bit, well, those are the ones we'll focus on. Let me give you. We we've made our predictions and our our handicapping. If you were uh, penciling in those four seats, how would you pencil them in at this point, based on kind of your knowledge, your hunches, your bench racing, that kind of thing? Really lightly with very erasable pencil at this point. Um, I think, you know, I think like Dale Coyne says, you know, there's, there's the usual suspects that, that are always in, in play. And it's the names you've heard in the past, you know, you get your Stingray Rob, um, Benjamin Peterson, uh, Kyle Mylott, uh, Daniel Frost, Dantino Ferrucci. I expect that you're going to get that group in that group of seat in some way, shape, or form. Um, you can add other names, Devlin DeFrancesco, obviously. Uh, Hunter McElroy is another one, possibly. But, you know, you've got, what, we give you seven names there. Um, I could see five or six of those guys in those cars at some point this year in some way, shape, or form. Um, I know Eilat, um, the situation that happened with with Hunkos has made him a, a very pretty hot commodity, and I know that um, – both teams have been in contact with them and both are interested in them. So um, I think the the connection between Foyt and Penske makes it a pretty attractive spot for somebody. So it'll be, that one to me is, is really interesting. Those two seats to me is to see who, who ends up in those are kind of uh, the big ones for me right now. Um, you know, we'd always talked about Benjamin Peterson having a, having a done deal there, but, I, we'll see. I've heard different things on that one. Um, I think he, it'd be nice to see Benjamin get another shot. So, um, hopefully he'll be back, but you never know, right? <laughs> right, right, right. In terms of, uh, of ranking the most likely to be in seats, you made a pretty good argument for Callum Eilat being, if not number one or number two among your five or six or seven. Would you probably put Stingray Rob kind of second or first, depending on the rankings and, and then who might be, if that's the case, who might be, you know, like second or third? Yeah. It, it's, there's an interest that, that next group, uh, 
Callum Mylod, as far as talent wise, of that group I mentioned is is head and shoulders above um, at this moment. Uh, the others, the others are all sort of pretty similar, and and they come with different budgets. So I think uh, you know, I think Santino uh, is sort of that next step on on, but doesn't come with a ton of budgets. So uh, that's something you're going to have to consider. Um, I would want Santino for the 500. I don't care what team you are. I. Would I didn't if I was Roger Penske, I'd put him in one of my cars for the 500. He's that good at at the speedway. But those that other group of, of De Francesco and Pedersen and Rob, I think he, at that point you almost look at who brings you the biggest check to help you with your program, to help you hire engineers, to help you, you know, get get to the shaker rig, to help you on the damper program. There's it, you know. Money, money by speed in this sport, and that's the name of the game at this point. So, um, you know, they've all got – they're all talented enough drivers that, you know, we're not talking about champions here. We're probably not talking about race winners, but we're talking about guys that, that are solid contributors and will continue to get better. So, yeah, at that point, you know, I um, Rob probably, then DeFrancesco, then Patterson would be kind of where I sit in the next group. This being the last month of the season, a perfect time to to reflect. And I guess we'll since we we're talking about kind of news of the day, uh, let me get your quick thoughts and give have people give some perspective uh, on a career that's been just just really uh, consistent and noteworthy. Uh, since our last show last week, uh, we lost Norris McDonald, a great uh, yeah. journalist in Canada, a Canadian Motorsports Hall of Famer. He went in at the time uh, with Paul Tracy and Nigel Mansell. If that gives listeners kind of uh, a sense for 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 the importance of of Norris's contribution, you're Canadian. Uh, I'm sure you spent read far more Norris McDonald columns <laughs> than I have, and it's absolutely uh, just uh, give us give us a sense for that. You know, uh, Norris um, had a fascinating career. Um, Love him or hate him, and I loved him. I, just a fascinating human being with the most amazing stories. Um, he was a old school journalist um, who started. Uh, he was more on the uh, foreign editor, for, foreign news side of the Globe and Mail, which is, and the uh, I think he was at the Kingston Whig Standard, which were sort of the the blue blood newspapers in in Canada, and then he moved uh, onto the onto the automotive and motorsports beats and. Um, Norris was the kind of guy that had to try things before he, he covered stuff. So he, he became a, um, race car driver, uh, and he was actually fairly good at it. Um, but then he, I think he started, I want to say it was in the mid seventies. He started covering, covering motorsports in Canada and he was along with, um, you know, there were a few other guys, uh, Dean McNulty, McNulty and, um, that were sort of the the deans and the and the the legends of the the Canadian motorsports press. Um, that was really important to IndyCar and Formula One and NASCAR. You know, they um, those sports grew up there by those by those newspapers, by the Toronto Sun, by the Toronto Star, uh, by the Globe and Mail. And and Norris ended up uh, at the Toronto Star for for I think the last some somewhere in the mid seventies when he ended up at the Star. Um, but he was. Uh, a one of a kind individual, and I don't think there was anybody out there that championed Canadian drivers um, as much as he did. And it wasn't just, you know, you mentioned Paul Tracy. Yeah, he 
Paul and him went way back and they could go back and forth. And, and I'm sure Norris would call Paul all the time and Paul would call Norris, but it didn't matter who it was, whether it was a, a young Jane Hinchcliffe or a Robert Wickens or guys like Parker Thompson or young drivers, Canadian drivers now like Matt Clark, it was Norris just, he wanted to know everything about the young Canadian drivers and, and what it took to get to the top level. And he's going to be really missed. Um, you know, he, at the end there, we basically only saw him at Toronto. He'd come to Indy once in a while, but there was a time when he went to a lot of races on the uh, IndyCar circuit. And he was a, he was a, a unique individual and had some fantastic stories and, you know, definitely sending um, thoughts to his, his family right now, because it's, uh, you know, Susan is, is his partner for a long time and um, he'll be missed. He'll be missed when we go up there for uh, the Molson Indy or not Molson Indy. Yeah. Jeez, I'm getting, yeah. Back up to the Honda Indy in Toronto. Yeah, he he his time kind of goes back as far, almost as far as as Robin Miller's did in terms of covering the Indy 500, and and so I I wanted to spend some time and knew you were a great person to do that and talk about just how how much contribution uh, he made, Norris McDonald made to Canadian motorsports. Steve Wittish joins us trackside online. End of the year now. Let's uh, I guess you know. Let's talk about maybe the your most memorable moment of of twenty twenty three. Both let's start with the IndyCar series side. Obviously, New Gardens win in the five hundred is is huge in the dominating fashion that Alex Pillow raced with, especially in the second two thirds of the season. In the middle portion, he was just unbelievable. Um but maybe there's another moment for you that was kind of the signature moment of, of twenty twenty three. You know, I We'll probably get into the Indy next side of things and, and that, but it, my moment of the year is it, it came at, at Long Beach when Kyle Kirkwood got his first NT, NTT IndyCar Series win. Kyle, uh, I've championed Kyle for a long time, and, and I think he's probably the most talented driver that we've seen come up since Joseph Newgarden. And um, I know he had a, a forgettable year, his, his rookie season at Foyt, but it was good to see him early in the season, kind of get off that, get that monkey off his back and get that win. And then he got another one in Nashville and now he'll need to work on that consistency. But I think everyone got to see exactly what all of us who follow that ladder series have seen all along. And, and not only talented on the track, right. He's, he's great personality off the track. And I think uh, people will get to know him better. And I think he's, he's kind of that next star along with, you know, Pato and, and Colton that, that we've been looking for. And, you know, we've got some guys probably going to be retiring soon. And obviously we had Alex is going to be in that. Palo is going to be in that same group. But those those three guys came out of the, the American Ladder Series. And if you're, if you're fans of that, they're going to be the ones that we're going to watch win a lot of races. So you hinted at it, and I referenced it from an Indy Next standpoint. What stands out to you? Uh, obviously having, you know, the 18, 19 full-time Cars was a huge step in the right direction. Uh, massive credit to, to Levi Jones and Roger Penske and, and everybody at Penske Entertainment for for improving that program and making it more attractive. Um, from a season-long standpoint last year, it was just the depth of the field was really impressive. Um, you know, you had seven different drivers win races. It just you're going to see probably the same thing this year with a not, probably a little bit larger field and still a really deep field. Um, but you're going to get to see some kids like Christian Rasmussen, obviously at, 
um, Ed Carpenter racing. I think he'll surprise some people. He's uh, might take him a couple races to get his feet underneath him, but he's he's a gasser and he will go hard and he will have some speed. So um, don't throw him. Don't you know? Don't discount him. Yeah. Don't discount him yet. No. Um, I think, and that'll be a good uh, good one to push Renus uh, VK. A little bit, um, you know, he had he had a nice run in the second half of the season where he had a veteran teammate, and now he's going to have someone competitively push him as well. So I think what he learned maybe last year working with Ryan Hunter Ray will now he'll be able to pass some of that on to, to Christian. So um, yeah, no, it was a really good series. Um, we've got a, some teams that are really big and smaller, and it's a good mix of of American and, and European drivers. And I think it's, I'm really happy to see Jamie Chadwick come back for another season. Um, I think you'll see a much improved effort out of her now that she's used to the tracks and, and used to the, the cadence of the weekend. Um, but yeah, I think this year, I honestly, I think there's probably 10 drivers that could win races and probably six or seven that you're going to have to have as, as championship contenders. And I think we've got a few more to be announced here that are pretty exciting. There's a, young Brazilian kid named uh, Kyle Calais, who I rate really highly, who I expect uh, hopefully if you can put the budget together, we'll be uh, in the series. And it's going to be, you got Nolan Siegel, who's a young American driver who won two races and he's actually over testing super formula right now. So uh, he'll be back. And then Louis Foster is, a, is extremely fast. And then Jacob Abel's experienced and, and, you know, that team's a lot of fun. And, you know, it's a, if you're an IndyCar fan and you haven't watched Indy Next by Firestone recently, definitely do that this year. It's going to be a, it's going to be a really good series. And I expect a, you know, a lot of different winners. Louis Foster would seem to be the one people would be chasing. If you were, at least if I was uh, setting it up, you know, for the start of 2024, is that the leader in the clubhouse at the moment? Yeah. Louis and uh, Nolan are probably my two leaders in the clubhouse. um, Definitely to start things off, but um, you know, we always have that one or two, two surprises and there's a few in there that I think Reese gold, I rate him pretty highly. What do you think the car so count ends up? What do you think the car I count ends up? I think we'll end up with 22 full-time. That's um, unbelievable. Probably, That's unbelievable. Yeah, it, no, it really is. It's, it's fantastic considering we were, it wasn't that long ago we were eight cars. Um, so, you know, and that's, it's a lot of it's the stability with Mr. Penske and, and having Levi Jones on board and, and you've got some team owners that are really, committed to it and and have found a way to make it work as as a business not just as a hobby so um you know that's the important thing and and Mr. Penske's allowed that to happen which is you know it's it's great for the all the ladder series and it's it's healthy all the way down you know I think there's the three series below will all have 20 to 25 cars this year so you're looking at probably close to 100 junior open wheel ladder guys this year so Mm -hmm. that's and girls so very, unbel- uh, it'll be really good. It's unbelievable. And, uh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. And we, you know, I didn't mention Miles Rowe. I think people are going to be really surprised at how quick he is, uh, out of the box. Um, he'll have to limit mistakes, but, um, I rate him really highly as well. So it'll be, you know, I think, yeah, there's, I, yeah, there's probably six or seven drivers that could win that championship next year. So it's going to be, going to be really interesting. Well, as always, um, we will be following Trackside Online for all that detailed information that, that you uh, have provided for so long. How many seasons now for Trackside Online in your uh, in your version of it? Uh, for me, I think this will be my 10th year next year. Yeah. 
Um, but Patrick, I think, coming up on 30 years, pretty close at least to that. So that's pretty crazy. Um, yeah, he's been doing it a long time. So uh, not many people knowing around the paddock as much as he is right now. So. All right, Steve. Well, have uh, have a great holiday season, and you got it'll it. Thank be, you so uh, much for having me. It'll be race time before we know it. So exactly. Can't All right, wait, wait for it. Steve Woodage, Trackside Online. You know where to find him, and if not, click on our our uh, followings, and we we retweet Steve with with great regularity. So we'll be back in just a second. See what uh, we missed. Ninety three five one zero seven five. The fan. This has Trackside. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hi, this is Felix Rosenquist, and you're listening to Trackside. Final segment, uh, we are going to go an entire program, not really talking silly season or guesstimating on some things, so we'll save that until next week, and I think we're getting close to getting another Indy 500 confirmation or two, and maybe a season confirmation if some rumors are true, so uh, maybe we'll have something more definitive before next week's show, which is again on Tuesday night. We'll save some more Alex Pillow legal battles for next week. Nathan Brown had a good story in the star, but we will say congrats to Alex and his wife, Esther, for their little girl born, I think yesterday, Lucia. We're out of time tonight. Thanks for joining us. For Kurt, I'm Kevin. Thanks to Elijah in the studio. This is 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.